The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every week we bring you a live show to help you start or grow your own real estate investing business. And folks who suddenly realize at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night that they have missed the program here on WMKV and WLHS, uh, just let me remind you that the station always uh, also posts the programs on iTunes after uh, the show is over. They're usually up by like Thursday, Friday, somewhere in through that time frame. And you can listen to this and several hundred archived shows either at iTunes or by going directly to our website at realliferealestate.com if you're ever bored and on a long drive, you can listen to hours and hours and hours of real life real estate with uh, many guests in many different areas of the real estate business. And at some times of year, we uh, get away a little bit from the real estate strategies thing and talk instead about some more uh, technical issues that are very important to real estate investors and entrepreneurs, one of those things, of course, being taxes. And it's usually around this time of year when all of our real estate friends are thinking about filing their taxes that we try to do an update on things that you might not be aware of, might be vaguely aware of, may have heard in passing and thought was interesting, but um, now it's time to actually know what they are since uh, we're at least getting ready now to file our initial returns with the IRS. I know a lot of our colleagues don't actually file the final returns until the last possible moment in August or September, but uh, this is the time of year when you need to start thinking about it. So to help us with that discussion today, which I hope is going to include your questions, uh, is Mr. Scott Ellsworth. He is a CPA from here in the greater Cincinnati area. He is the current president of the Nonprofit Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati and also the treasurer of the Nonprofit Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. He is a real estate investor himself, investing in single families, apartments, and from time to time notes as well. And he is joining us by phone today because... February is just not a great time to get a CPA pried away from his desk. Scott, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. 
Thanks, Dana. Happy to be here. I got to take a break anyway from doing all those texts. Uh, that's right. That's right. At, at some point, at some point, you have to look up and and take a little bit of a breather. Now, Scott, I want to give uh, listeners an opportunity again to call in with questions because since the new tax law took effect last year, I've even been getting differing opinions from CPAs about some of the some of the uh, technical parts of it, and I'm sure other people have as well. So uh, if you have any questions about the tax law, your personal taxes, I mean, within limitations, all right, don't call us, don't call up and read us your AGI and ask Scott how to lower that or anything like that. But anything about, you know, how do I file? When do I file? What do I file? What entity do I file? And anything like that. Uh, give us a call at 877-772-9658. Again, that's 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Uh, so, Scott, if we could dive right into the, quote, new tax law. It's not actually that new anymore. There's been a, there's been a lot of um, uh, talk in the media about how it's really something that only the really wealthy are going to see any advantage from is is that actually what you're seeing with your clients or are you seeing that like just kind of the average real estate investor on the street is able to take some benefit from this no i think uh i think it's not just the wealthy real estate investor or the wealthy individuals there's a lot of uh i think misinformation out there from the uh pundits uh, a lot of it's political but uh, when we did actually with all of our clients, real estate and non-real estate, we did an analysis at the end of last year with their taxes for 17. We looked at it for 18 and applied the laws, not even giving a lot of uh, uh, stock to the rental, uh, some rental deductions that you're going to be able to get. And we found that almost everybody in almost every case benefited from the tax law. Um, basically, if you're a real estate investor, small business person, or oddly, well, not oddly enough, but you're a family with a lot of kids and you got some uh, decent income, but you're not wealthy, you're going to make out in this uh, in this tax law. So it's good. Yes, good news. I'm always in favor of giving the government less money rather than more money in for everybody. <laughs> Rich people, poor people, let's all give the government less money. So um, one of the big kind of new things that, you know, of course, they stuck a they stuck a label on it that doesn't quite describe to anybody what it is. But there's been a lot of chatter on it online in the real estate forums is the qualified business income deduction. Can you can you explain what that even is (laughs) and how it might help us? Sure. So qualified business income is basically income from a trader business. So if I had a bakery, uh, if I had a business uh, that was rehabbing properties, um, uh, even rental property, uh, if it's enough, and the IRS gave us some good guidance that we'll talk about at some point this hour, but um, you're, that's a qualified trader business. So an LLC, an S-Corp, a sole proprietorship, <clears throat> just a guy who, a, a couple or a single person who owns rental property can get a what's called a deduction on qualified business income. So as long as you have that kind of income, trader business, you get a 20% deduction. There are some caveats to it. If your income rises um, to larger levels, about $315,000, they start taking it away. Um, 
But for the most part, you'll get a 20% deduction right off the top on your business income. So if I make 100 grand in my business, I get a $20,000 deduction right off the top. No questions asked. You have to have good records, but uh, you always should. Uh, but basically, you're going to get 20% off. That's 20 grand. If you're in a 25% tax bracket, that's $5,000 in your pocket. Hmm. It's just, it's a great thing to have. Nice. Now, now, would that apply to, for instance, a wholesaler or a retailer whose income was, you know, basically cash income from the sale of a property over and over and over again? Yeah, those, those are actually the ideal ones. Originally, when they came out with the law, <clears throat> as you may be aware, Congress tends to pass things, and they don't do a very good job at it, not to get political, but they just don't do a very good job of passing laws because they do it very quickly, generally. So there was a lot of ambiguity in the in the law, and a lot of clarification needed to be done, and, uh, and that really came out. The IRS has done a really good job in helping to clarify that because Congress wasn't going to clarify it very well because they can't agree on anything. But... So even the the wholesalers perfect, the guy who's doing retail uh, or gal doing retail perfect type of business to get that qualified business income deduction. And there was questions whether rental was included because it really didn't talk about rentals. Mm-hmm. It did in some indirect ways. And finally, the IRS came out and has said that yes, rentals qualify. Some restrictions and safe harbors on it, but those those rentals that come become a become a, a trader business rise to that level they would count and so, what yeah, about you're going to have what about interest income from notes and mortgages uh generally no uh unless you're in the business of of that uh of selling notes having notes things like that the problem when you get into you have to you really have to sit down and think about it because if you're in the business of doing that and it's not that your your assets, the things you're lending money on, buying notes, are not in an S-corp, you're going to be subject to self-employment tax. So that's about 15%. So if I made $100,000 doing that and I said, well, that's a business. I want my 20%, I want my 20% business income deduction. Well, 20% of hundred grand is 20000 If I'm in the 15% bracket, I'm in the 25% bracket, well, that's going to amount to $5,000 of savings and taxes. But now my $100,000 is not just investment income, right? It is now business, trader business income. So I could do that. You could you could go that direction. But now all of a sudden, now I'm paying 15% on hundred grand, which cost me 15000 in order to save the five, right? Mm-hmm, that that mm-hmm. doesn't add up to me. Mm-hmm. So probably in most cases, I don't want to do that. It can be a little different if you're in an S corp or if you have a lot of other income. If you're if you do that and you have W two income that gets uh, that gets your income high enough, the the self employment tax rate drops to about three percent. So there can be air, at times when it would make sense, but for the most part, the average person that would not be included. Investment income is not included. Stocks or bonds you make on that. Um, loaning money out, things like that. Those, okay. That is not included. Okay. So even even if you think you are you know you have a note business, what you should look at is, do I pay self-employment tax on my note business? And if the answer is no, you probably want to keep it that way rather than go after a $5,000 deduction 
but pay a $15,000 self-employment tax. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, yeah. We need to we need to take a t- uh, quick break. I want to invite listeners again. Any any questions you have about um, really entities bookkeeping, the tax law, how it affects you, anything like that would be a welcome question today and just about no other day. Because if you call me and ask me these questions, I'm gonna be like, I don't know, call Scott Ellsworth. 877-772-9658. 877-772-9658 is the number to call. You can also send us an email, askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is CPA Scott Ellsworth. And we're just, we're talking tax stuff today. So if you have tax-related questions, 877-772-9658 would be the number to call in live to the studio and ask your question. Or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Now, Scott, I want to I want us to sort of warn listeners that we are, we are not going to get deep into something today that they are probably hoping we will, and that is opportunity zones. And the reason is it takes an hour <laughs> just to just to talk about all the different pros and cons with right. opportunity zones. Um, folks who are in the Cincinnati area have the opportunity to come to the Cincinnati RIA meeting tomorrow night at uh, six o'clock and actually hear you talk about that for an hour. And that that meeting is open to the public and you've got slides and you got all the maps and all that kind of stuff for the opportunity zones. Uh, but I just wanted to let listeners know that they can uh, attend that meeting tomorrow night. There's more information about it at CincinnatiRIA.com. And listeners, if you've been thinking about trying out that nonprofit association and you've been kind of, I don't know, procrastinating, hesitating, whatever, uh, tomorrow night would be a good meeting to attend. You can download a guest pass, the first time guest pass that's free at CincinnatiRIA.com. And then the main meeting is about uh, best cash flow strategies. We're going to have a cage match between five of our most successful members who have passive, well, let's not call it passive. They have monthly income (laughs) coming in from rentals, Airbnbs, apartments, uh, higher-end properties, lower-end properties, notes, and they're going to fight it out over which one of those is best, most profitable, easiest, easiest to find, lowest competition, all of those sorts of things. So again, that's uh, CincinnatiRia.com, and uh, love to see. Is it going to be like? Is it going to be like a cage? Yes. Like they can't get out. And- there will be Jello, and yes, Great. it'll. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, so just to just to just to touch on opportunity zones for folks who that might be a new term to for if you were giving an elevator speech to tell a real estate investor why they might want to look at at opportunity zones like what's the big deal? So the big deal is you can take capital gain that you've had whether it's selling stocks, real estate, whatever it is, a capital asset, not flipping a property, something like that, but you can take that gain. And just reinvest the gain into areas that the government wants you to invest in, which typically are rural and low-income areas that they want you to invest money into. And you can get a deferral on the gain from your original stock sale or real estate sale. And after you pay, you will eventually pay that gain. But anything beyond that, all the appreciation is going to be tax-free. Now, I didn't say tax-deferred. I said tax-free. 
So that is nice. So if I put a hundred grand in and it's worth a million bucks, I've already paid my tax on a hundred. When I sell it for a million bucks, the nine hundred grand is tax free. <laughs> yeah. Now, needless to say, the IRS is involved here. So there are hoops to jump through, there's paperwork to fill out, there's making sure you're in the right area, there's how you, you know, the election that it, you make for your company. So there's that, that's why it takes an hour, is <laughs> because of all that other stuff. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, definitely something for, especially folks who are already into buying and holding properties, definitely yep. something to look into. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about the Section 179 deduction changes. And and again, first, so that we're not just, you know, making people's eyes glaze over. First, what is the Section 179 deduction? And then we can talk about what the changes have been. So a Section 179 deduction is a way that allows you to write off things that you have uh, bought for... Uh, normally, you would take an item, let's say um, a refrigerator, uh, and you would write that off, depreciate that over its life, five years, seven years, depending on what it is. And Section 179 allows uh, people to take that write off all in one year, right when you get it, rather than wait. And so one of the, the things they did, now this is generally, it was, there was a maximum. In other words, if you invest and you put put in a, if you put five hundred and ten thousand bucks worth of stuff into place, you could deduct it. Now, this is not real estate, but this is uh, this is other property, computers, things like that. Mm-hmm. You got to deduct up to five hundred ten. The new number is a million. Now, to be honest with you, most of uh, my clients and most of the listeners out there probably don't buy more than five hundred ten thousand dollars worth of that kind of stuff. Rental, uh, real estate, maybe, but not that. So that was not a big change. But what they now do is now they allow property that's used to furnish lodging, which they didn't before, furniture, appliances, things like that, can be used. So now you've got um, an Airbnb. You've got rental property that's appliances. You can write all that off right from the get-go, um, which is really nice. The other thing is if you have commercial, they now allow, which – so if I have a rental, a residential, two-family, and I put a roof on it, I've got to write that off over 27 and a half years. But in a non-residential real property, a commercial property, it now, the new law allows me to write off roofs, HVAC, fire protection, security systems. So I have, I personally have a small commercial property um, up north in Tiffin, Ohio, and so if we put an HVAC unit in, we don't have to write it off over 27 and a half years. I can write it off right when I buy it. If I put a new roof on, I can write it all off the same year I buy it, which is great because that tax savings that I make, um, I can now invest in another property or whatever it might be. So Improvements on really that same big, property. Really a big benefit. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's great, especially since, you know, roofs and HVAC units don't actually last 27 and a half years. So the the link the length sometimes that the IRS has put on itemized depreciation has always amused those of us who actually own properties that have those things. Like I think I think um carpet has been like a 5-year item. You can write off new carpet yeah. over 5 years. I've never yeah. had carpet last 5 years in a rental property. 
No. Never. It lasts. If, it lasts one tenant. But but it, but if you're doing your taxes correctly, and you have to replace it, I'm going to write it off. This is really not about the new tax law, but if you if you properly define what those costs are, when I have to replace that two thousand dollars worth of carpet and I only owned it for a year because the tenant trashed it, okay, I can go ahead and write off the rest of that carpet. I have to depreciate the new one, but I can write off the old carpet I tore out, and a lot of people don't do that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we'll get a tax return, and they've got carpet on there that's, they've got five years of carpet, and they're still depreciating all five years. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, it's used, right? You, it, they trashed it. Right. Right. And I've noticed I've noticed that uh, when I go when I go places and I hang out with investors who are uh, they've been they've been around a long time. They really are very sensitive to what the IRS allows them to do. They do pay attention to stuff like that. They're they're very careful to to absolutely legally minimize the amount of tax they pay. And as a result, a lot of them, if they're not flippers because flippers pay a lot of tax if they're if they're landlords they effectively between that sort of write-off and componentizing everything in the house and their depreciation they effectively live tax-free a lot of them can yeah and so it it this is one of those topics that you know you kind of you kind of put it on the calendar and go wow i hope everybody's eyes don't glaze over while we're talking today because yeah people you know people don't like to talk about taxes but it seriously good record keeping and just understanding what you're allowed to do can save you thousands of dollars a year and i, I bet i bet most of our listeners who own rentals are, are are paying thousands more in taxes than they need to and that they would if they bothered to spend an hour a week on record keeping absolutely absolutely and and let me also add and i say this i say this on every tax update show we do it is super important that if you are, you know, if you own one or two rental properties, whatever, you might be spending a thousand more on taxes than you need to. But if if you are in the business or you intend to be in the business, it's really important that you have a tax professional who does understand real estate because it's kind of, in some ways, it's kind of a specialized thing. The most most CPAs understand the big stuff like, oh, you can depreciate real estate, but they don't necessarily get that little stuff. Makes a big difference. It does. Makes a big difference. All right. So, um, bonus depreciation. Our, yeah. So our, bonus. Our friend, our friend John Heyer has been all over the internet <laughs> talking about how this, how great this bonus depreciation is, and how everybody should be paying attention and and doing it. And I think, I think a lot of people's reaction is about the what now. So, so. So you've got depreciation, you have Section 179, now you have bonus, right? Mm -hmm. the, the IRS loves to make things complicated, but some of the complications are nice. They're for our benefit. Um, I wish to do it a little different way, but they make it complicated, so attorneys and CPAs are going to be in business <laughs> for a long time. Anyway, <clears throat> so, but the bonus depreciation, they, they made some changes. So they go back and forth historically between what percentage. Bonus depreciation says, listen, We'll let you take regular depreciation, but bonus depreciation tries to encourage you to buy stuff and invest. <clears throat> so 
So they've gone back and forth over the years of either 50% or 100. So if I bought a uh, a set of office furniture and it was $2,000, they might say I get 50% bonus depreciation. The rest of it's got to be written off over a period of time. Now, remember, I've got Section 179 I can also fall back on. So there's knowing what to do and what choice you make is critical because you've got all these different ways you can do it. But now what they did was they they made it 100%. So I can write the whole thing off through 2022. I can write 100% of my purchase off. And what's interesting is before it was only new assets. So if I bought a used uh, desk, a used computer, whatever that used item was, I couldn't use bonus depreciation. Now, used qualifies. Hmm. Now, the interesting thing that that is, they also made some changes to how um, how it works. And so uh, now, think, so think about, remember we talk, you talked a little bit about componentizing, having different pieces of your property broken down into smaller increments. For instance, if I buy a house, am I really buying a house? Or am I really buying the house, the structure, the, that of it, but I'm also buying a sidewalk, aren't I? Mm-hmm. I'm buying a driveway. I'm buying landscaping. So I'm buying these land improvements. And because of the years, the, the way they're depreciated, I now have the ability to write off that whole thing. So now when, I'm, when, I've, when I buy that house, if I can segregate, cost, cost segregation or componentize, how much it would? How much did I pay for that sidewalk? I can write that 100% off. How much did I pay for that driveway? 100% off, mm-hmm. right? I can deduct all of it right away. This is actually one of the best things um, that they have done because now, I mean, think about it. When we buy houses, it's new for us, but it's used. So before you could never do that. Now you can actually do that. Now you're not going to take the structure of the building off. It doesn't qualify. Those type of things don't qualify. But the carpet does, the cabinets do. Sort of, if, if you want to, do, as a general note, anything that you can remove from the house without tearing it up, except for land improvements, anything you can remove from the house without tearing the item you're removing up or the house itself up, then you'll be in pretty good uh, position to be able to write that off faster and use bonus depreciation. Um, for instance, if I have ceramic tile, has anybody been able to get ceramic tile up without destroying it? Lord knows no. I've tried. <laughs> it is it is not. That is part of the house. But carpet, you can take it up. Laminate flooring that floats, it's not, it's not nailed down. Cabinets, appliances, all sorts of things like that. Window air conditioning units. All those types of things can now be written off 100%. So it can be a big change when I first buy it. Now, there are issues if you do that. So, and you need to cut me off when we have to take a break. So I tend to talk. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, it's coming up soon. But um, my, my question is, do I need somebody else to value that stuff? Or can I just say, well, I figure this carpet's worth 1000 and the refrigerator's worth 500 So you... It, it is, you're in a better position if you get an audit to have somebody, a third party, having valued that. Um, now, it, it, it isn't totally 
a requirement, but you're in a better position if you do. So if I have a $2 million property, I'm actually going to bring an engineer out to your property. Because for that, I want to actually know what the – so I put a, a through-the-wall heat and AC unit in the wall, right? Well, there's a 220 electric running in the wall back to the panel. That actual electrical wire is for that through-the-wall unit. It's not part of the house. So I can literally segregate all those types of things. Um, but I would want an engineer to do that. But I'm going to pay fifteen grand to do it. You could have a CPA do a limited one for, let's say, anything. We usually do them for, for you know, uh, something that's like two, two hundred grand to a million. You can do a limited cost segregation study by a CPA, and you can do sort of a. You can get. I can go get a a my driveway guy, my my concrete guy can come out and tell me how much would it be cost to put a new one in and what is the life left in this 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 driveway or this sidewalk mm -hmm. and that would be able to tell so you could there's a lot of things you can do without having to pay for a lot of professional help i mean you can get print off all the stuff from from a home depot website right that says here's what my uh here's what my cabinets cost mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so i can use that so there are ways to do it on the cheap mm -hmm. but the cheaper you go, the more risk you run, right? Yes. Of, yes. Of, of an audit happening. Yes, and the more and the more aggressive you try to be. I mean, if you bought a hundred thousand dollar house and then you try and claim that seventy five thousand of that was the mm. carpet and appliances and sidewalks and balcony and right. all that stuff, that's that's probably that's that's maybe a big audit risk, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, Scott, we need to take a break because we've got some phone calls and questions coming in. Okay. Uh, if other folks have questions, our number. Here in the studio is 877-772-9658, or our email is askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is CPA Scott Ellsworth, and we're here talking some about the new tax law and also answering listener questions about taxes, entities, saving taxes, record keeping, all of that sort of thing. Uh, we need to go first to the phones to Dale, who is calling from Louisiana. Dale, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Dale, are you there? It sounds like the line's open, but I can't hear Dale. Hmm. Dale, if you're if you're there, you hang on a second because uh, Mike's going to push some buttons in here and see if see if your calls maybe being routed to the other studio or something. But just just hang in there. Uh, also have a question here that came in via email. Uh, this one is from Gina, who lives right here in the uh, greater Cincinnati area. And um, as I was switching over to my email, I lost her question. So, you gave me a copy of it. You might read it. Oh, yes, that would be great. Yeah, because that one came in before <clears throat> the show. <clears throat> So she said, I want to do some real quick. Just one thing on the strategies that we have talked about, and one of the reasons we always say to, to talk with your qualified CPA is because in some cases you don't want to do that cost segregation. It depends on your ultimate strategy for your business, for your investments. So just be careful. It sounds great, and usually it is, but sometimes it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So here's a question from Gina. Actually, it actually, said, uh, I, I I did find it, and I think do we have Dale? Well, we'll try. We're gonna try. Hey, Dale, are you there? Okay, same situation. It, sound, it sounds like the line is open. Is it possible that Dale has muted himself? 
somehow on his. No, that's that was Scott. Okay, okay. So uh, we'll keep trying with Dale here. Sometimes the sometimes the buttons just don't work. And actually, at this point, maybe we want Dale to call back. Try that. Yeah, Dale, if you can hear me, if you could hang up and call back, we will uh, we'll try and get you that way. Uh, okay, so um, Gina says, I recently got my first LLC up and running, and I have a couple of questions. I've heard you say before to be sure and not use your business account to pay for personal stuff. In other words, don't don't take your LLC checkbook to the grocery store and write a check. But what happens if I buy something for my business out of my personal account? So I'm at Home Depot, and I don't actually have a business credit card. I have a personal credit card. So I buy some building materials for my rental property. Uh, can I then use the receipt to take off business taxes? Uh, sure. So there's not a problem with that. What I would do to make your life, because with the IRS, documentation is the key. Good record keeping is key. So I like to do it like this. So if I worked at a, a company and I had an expense for that company, I would submit an expense report. So the company would reimburse me for that personal, for that business expense that I paid personally. Mm -hmm. So what my suggestion is, is do that. Download a simple Excel or Word template that is an expense report. Fill that out. Attach your receipt, and have your entity reimburse you for that expense. Mm -hmm. So by all means, you're still going to deduct it, but it's better to have that than to to say, oh, I deducted that. Because you don't want to get into an audit with the IRS, and at some point they say, well, we need to see the check, and they find out it's from your personal checking account. Now, in addition to your business audit, they said, well, we want your personal bank account because you wrote business checks out of it, so we need to see the whole account. That just makes it right for not sort of a fishing expedition if they wanted to do it. And so we don't recommend that. So, yeah, you can deduct it. You're not going to not deduct it. Just Make sure that you have it documented real well, and I suggest a reimbursement from your business for it. Very good. And she has a second question. She says, since I now have an LLC, will it be better to for me to file on my personal schedule using schedule my personal return using Schedule C, or file a separate return for the business? Wondering which way, if either, I will pay less taxes. And just to fill in some detail here that Gina did not fill in. Uh, her primary business income right now is coming from wholesaling. If that makes a difference. Okay. Uh, it, it does. So so what I would do, first of all, if it's a single-member LLC, it's going to be on your personal return no matter what. So that's the first thing. If it's a dual member, meaning you've got a partner uh, who's in the business with you, um, then you would do that as a separate 1065. So it really... It more relates to, and there, there's one caveat, but it more relates to how legally you're structured, whether you have to file a separate tax return or you just do it on your personal return. There is one exception, and that's you're a single-member LLC and you're a wholesaler. You could be an S-Corp, and that could save you self-employment taxes. We'd have to go into it pretty deep, so um, we probably want to do something like that offline. But you can save your self-employment tax or a part of it by being an S-Corp. Um, so there is potential to do that, a lot of things you have to do along with that. So that could save you some money, but we'd have to see if the S-Corp would be uh, right for you. Okay, 
Okay. And speaking speaking of corporations, something really interesting has happened in the real estate world since this new tax law passed. And that is that all of a sudden people are talking about C-Corps for a real estate business. And that was, I mean, folks who've been around a long time know that we have always been told a C-Corporation is the wrong way to run a real estate business. You either want an LLC or an S-Corporation. Has something actually changed that might make a C-Corporation a better choice? Well, it has. So the, the t- tax rates, the, the way the C-Corp worked, is it had a maximum tax rate of 35%. Uh, the tax rate ratcheted up pretty quickly, um, but uh, what they did is they made it now, it was so it was a, you paid, uh, you know, uh, 15%, and then their brackets ratcheted up to 35 Well, now they did a flat 21% for corps, for, for C corporations. So with if, if I'm in the highest tax bracket, 35 37% and my my business could do could only pay 21% at at first blush you'd think that's the way to go I'm going to save taxes but it works if you're going to if you're going to keep the money in it if you're then going to take it out um, it really becomes a little bit of a problem because you're paying the 21% but now you have a dividends you're paying so you're paying double taxation um, now there are going to be instances where this totally makes sense and some where it's not. But it's not a no-brainer that somebody says, oh, it went down to 21%, let's be a C-Corp. It depends on your personal circumstance, what you want to do with it. C-Corps make a lot of sense in some other areas, um, such as self-directed IRAs and 401ks, things like that, if you're going to get into business income. But uh, for the most part, we still don't recommend We have people still converting from – we have actually people who have a C-Corp, had a C-Corp before. Now they're going to switch to S because they're now going to pay a flat 21% instead of getting part of it at 15%. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't necessarily think it changes that, but it does It does open the door to at least look at it and see if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good. Uh, we are going to go to the phones and talk to, hopefully, talk to Curtis on line one who's in Columbus. Curtis, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're happy to, so, happy to uh, have you. Ha- ha- yeah. ha- happy that your call actually got through because the last one didn't. Yeah. So what yeah, is, what is your too. question for Scott? Yeah, so just got into the business, uh, bought my first duplex November 9th and put about uh, 16000 into rehab, uh, getting ready to rent it. So for tax purposes, you know, what are your recommendations for, you know, for filing taxes uh, for 2018. So you you bought it you bought it in November. You put sixteen thousand into I mean, that sounds like maybe some capital improvements and a lot of cosmetics, and put it into service when? Uh, well, it's still vacant right now. Okay. So yeah. Okay. All right, Scott. What should he do? Yeah. Okay. So so the deal is is that you've bought a property. And you have put money into it, but it hasn't. Isn't ready? Is it ready to be rented yet? In the next few days. Okay, so it's not ready to be rented till nineteen. So, correct. Some people, some people don't like this answer, but it is the truth. So, so it is not actually a rental property in two thousand eighteen. So, what's going to happen is you're going to take the amount you paid for it, that HUD when you bought it, mm-hmm. or if you paid. 
if you paid cash, there's still a HUD, some sort of a closing statement. And then you're going to take all the expenses you've incurred. You're not going to deduct any of that in last year. Okay. You're going to only you're going to deduct that in 19 when you put it into service. So the moment, so let's say that in the next you know week it's ready to rent. Then at that point, that's when I placed it in service, and that's when I start depreciating those expenses uh, at that time. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll okay. depreciate the building and the improvements. So he's going to write off the stuff that can be written off, like the carpet, on his 2019 return, not on his 2018 return. That is correct. Okay. And, and Curtis, okay. I, have a, I have a second question for you. Uh, how do you own this property? Do you own it in your personal name, in your LLC name? LLC. Okay, good. Good for you. <laughs> you Thank just, you. <laughs> you just you just knew what to do right off the bat. So, uh, well, I've uh, I go to a lot of the quarterly meetings, so I've ah. ah, so John Heyer is shaking his finger at, at you about that enough times that it, it got through. And that and as Scott just said, the uh, the 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 LLC is not always for tax savings. In the case of real estate investors, especially single member LLCs. Uh, it is it is more often, especially in the case of a rental property, to separate your riskier assets like your rentals from your safer assets like your bank account. Correct. Yes, that's more important to me. <laughs> yes. So congratulations on buying Thank that you. first property. I hope there's many more to come. And we appreciate your call. Thanks so much. You're so uh, thank welcome. You. And thank you. Thank you again for calling. Uh, okay, so um, last thing that I think we're going to have time to touch on here, Scott, is uh, 1031 exchanges. These are, man, it seemed like it seemed like there was a while there when no one was doing 1031 exchanges because they were selling properties in a down market and they just didn't have enough capital gains to bother to try and do an exchange. But they're coming back now. Because people are, people are, you know, they bought stuff in 2009 for nothing, and now they're going to sell it in 2019 for, you know, sometimes double what they paid for it. And uh, first thing is if you can quickly explain what the 1031 exchange does and then tell us if there's anything new about that. So 1031 exchange, that is, I have a two-family, Vena has a single-family, could be any combination, but... I say to Vina, hey, I'll trade you my two-family for your single-family. That's great. It's an even exchange, no cash exchange. There's no tax on either side. The problem is, what's the likelihood that I'm going to find somebody that wants my property and I want theirs? Limited. So use a third-party intermediary, and it allows you to defer the gain. So I have a house. I sell it with my intermediary. All the gain, I don't touch the cash. We, it then sits in an account within time limits. I actually buy a new house. The intermediary handles the whole transaction, and now I have deferred that gain. I didn't have to pay that gain on that property I bought back in '09, and I now have for, for twice the value. Eventually, I pay tax on it if I sell it, but if I die with it, I win. Well, I don't win because I'm dead, but my heirs win because now they can, they can get a step-up in basis meaning they don't have to pay tax on all that capital gain. So what, what changed is, before it was, it worked with all types of assets, an airplane, a truck. When you went to the auto dealership and you traded in your work truck, that was a like-kind exchange. You didn't pay a taxable gain on that. Now if you go to the, they, they, they kept it for real estate, but that's it. So that truck 
now has to be, quote, sold to the dealer for what your trading value is, and then you buy the whole truck, the new truck, at the same price, at the, at the new price you bought it at, and you depreciate it. Well, depreciation of rental property works, but remember we talked about cost segregation mm-hmm. and the fact that cost segregation is, a, is not a real estate asset at that point. It's something else. Well, those something else's don't you can't you can't 1031 that part of it so if i've taken 10 percent of my property and made it other assets that aren't real estate then because the new law eliminates everything except real estate now that part of it so if it was a million dollar property and 10 percent of it and main million dollar gain and 10 percent of the gain was for for assets that i'd segregated a hundred thousand can't be uh 1031 and deferred, so I got to pay tax on that at least that hundred thousand bucks. Hmm. So that's really the only uh, change which brings into question: Do I cost segregate? Do I not? Um, but it is a great, great uh, pro, uh, 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 tax law that we were very fortunate. They were talking about getting rid of that Ooh. in the tax law, but real estate was saved. So somebody was in that room who had some property that they need 1031 and they they insisted to be kept in (laughs) no our legislators never pass laws just because they're to their benefit or refuse Uh, to pass laws because they're to their benefit uh yeah so so we can still do it there's still i assume the repair exchange and the reverse exchange and all that stuff that all that we've been able to do for about the last 15 years uh, that's yep. another thing we need to do a show on, by the way, Scott, is just 1031 okay. exchanges and nothing else. Because right. I, I, I talked to so many people that, especially recently, who they, they literally bought a house for $35,000 here in Cincinnati in 2009, and they're literally selling it now for ninety five. Yeah, and I say, please oh, tell me you're exchanging that. that. Please tell me you're exchanging it. You've got a you've got a sixty thousand dollar gain plus you know your depreciation that you have to recapture, and they say, I, what do what? I don't I don't understand what you're talking about. Are you going to buy yeah. a house with that money? And they say, of course I am. Well, would you rather have sixty thousand dollars to buy a house with, or would you rather have forty thousand dollars to buy a house with? Because that that could be the situation you're looking at here. So. Um, appreciate your uh, being on the show today, Scott. I know it's a really busy time of year for all of the My tax pleasure. folks. And I look forward to seeing you at tomorrow night's RIA meeting where you're going to get much more deeply into the uh, opportunity zones and the ways yep. that people can maybe do what they're already doing, buying the houses they're already buying, and yet defer a bunch of taxes uh, legally and, of course, help the community by investing money exactly. in some of these areas that... Uh, need a private investment. So uh, appreciate your time. See you tomorrow night. Uh, listeners, if you'd like to attend that meeting, CincinnatiRIA.com has all the information. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. <music>